Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. Good morning, church. I hope you've had a good week. I want to help you again this week to get to grips with understanding the second coming of Jesus. You know, life isn't random. We were taught that in school, that everything's random, that you're random and I'm random. It's not true. There is purpose, there is order, there is design in the universe, in life, in your body even. And history is his story. And God started it and he'll finish it. And he's given us free will and he's given us all sorts of things to do, either good or bad. And he's he's took responsibility ultimately for everything. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and the mess that we've made, not just of our lives, but of other people's lives and of the, how we've treated the planet even. And it says even the planet, even creation groans. It can't wait for the appearing of the new Dave and the new you and the new and, and Jesus Christ coming back when we'll all be transformed. The revealing of the sons and daughters of God because the given creation knows there's going to be a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. God isn't coming back just to judge people. There's a lot more than that. That's a negative side, a downside, where God is going to bring closure to people who refuse to believe. He's going to close them down. But ultimately for us who believe, he's opening up a whole new future. And by the way, unbelievers, anybody, I was an unbeliever once, you are welcome to join us. You are welcome to be part of God's new thing. Said in Isaiah, behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Forget the former things. I do a new thing. You know, can you see it? And God's doing a new thing. And Jesus gave us four signals, four signs that are going to happen in the world and in the church before he's and in the Middle East before his second coming so that we wouldn't be taken by surprise. But one day, someday, we will meet him as he is. And Jesus, when he came that first time, he was like the undercover boss. You know the programme on television where a CEO of a company comes and, and he looks over his business to see if his leaders are treating people well and doing the job right, if his workers are doing the job right and that they're, they're happy and productive and fruitful. And then he finds out the good, the bad and the ugly. And he goes undercover, puts a wig on, puts a moustache on, and that's just for the women. But he, you know, they, they, they get round the business and they have a look. And often the people don't know that it's the, the CEO and they speak what's in their mind and or they perform well or whatever. Then eventually they're called into head office on the pretext that they have to give feedback on this guy who went in with a wig on and the moustache and to, should we employ him, should we not employ him? Only to find out that that very same person was the undercover boss. He is the CEO of the company. And now he knows the good, the bad and the ugly. And he rewards for good, you know, for good, good work. Sometimes they get fired because their attitude is absolutely wrong and it stinks. And Jesus 
in John chapter 1, it says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own received him not. But to them that received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the power to become sons of God. And, uh, you know, you, you, your parents give you human life, but only Jesus can give you eternal life. And Jesus came to his own and they didn't receive him because they didn't think God could become a man. And there was a mental block there. It's like God is like he's so out there, he's so infinite, he's so other than, he's so different. He could never take the form of a human being. He is formless. To put a form on him would make him lesser than what he is. But you see, they didn't know the ingenuity of God, the intelligence of God, the wisdom of God. And God became a man. And Jesus, you know, we, you do understand that there is a Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, it says in Philippians chapter 2, have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus, who, in being very nature, did not treat uh, his equality with God as something to be grasped. But no, he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, became obedient, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him a name that is above every name. Can you see? You humble yourself, God exalts you. He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And you know something? That didn't happen at his first coming, but it will happen at his second coming. And people will see him and they will bow the knee if not voluntary, by force, because he's the king and he's coming back. He is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. In Jesus' first coming, he was, he came to save us from our sins. He came as a, a, a sacrifice. But in um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says, He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who were waiting for him. And he will bring salvation, it's awesome. And so even today you have an opportunity. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've not gone all in with Jesus through believing in him and getting baptized and, and uh, changing some things in your life by the power of, your, of the Holy Spirit working in you. You know, today we invite you to, to join us and to, to join a whole host of people that are gonna rule and reign with Jesus in the new heaven, the new earth. So when Jesus returns, who will he be? I said last week that this same Jesus who left planet earth on a cloud will come back in the same way, but it'll be the same Jesus, a real man that you can touch. Acts chapter 17, verse 31 says, God has set a date when he will judge the world through this man, Jesus Christ. And he says, and he, he's proved that uh, this is true by raising him from the dead. And so Jesus is coming back, not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king, as he really is, the CEO of the universe, crowned and in majesty. He's not riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. A donkey's about peace. Jesus will ride in on a stallion. He'll ride in on a horse. And uh, on his thigh, it says, he'll, he'll be emblazoned, with the name faithful and true. Where will Jesus come? Again, I'm recapping a little bit from last week. He'll come to Jerusalem, the city of the great king, to the Mount of Olives. And, you know, Israel's too small for all the believers that have ever lived, right the way from Adam all the way down the centuries, because they'll have died. 
all those that died in faith and all the Christians down the centuries that have that, that have believed it even unto death, you know, where, where they passed, passed away. We can't fit everybody in Jerusalem. And so uh, this is a stab at it. But, you know, if we're going to go to Jerusalem, the Bible says we'll meet him in the air. He's coming back to Jerusalem. I believe that's where we're going to be. We will meet him in the air and we'll be transformed, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. Immediately, there'll be a transformation. You know, when you became a Christian, your spirit became perfect. It was forgiven and cleansed and made right, righteous and holy before God. But the rest of you wasn't, and the rest of me wasn't. Our mind and emotions and our physical body is not new. That's what's going to happen when we get the, the new body, when Jesus returns. So we're going to meet him in the Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 14 in the Old Testament predicted that the Lord would come back and stand on the Mount of Olives and he will rule from Jerusalem. I rule the world through, uh, from Jerusalem. How will he come back? Well, on a cloud, the same way he went back to heaven, with thousands of angels and believers. Uh, you know, Jesus is going to bring back all those that died believing in him. And there'll be a loud shout of an angel, a loud blast from the trumpet, and Jesus will return. Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 64, I think it is, or oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's what it'll be like when Jesus comes back. It'll be like big hands just ripping it open and Christ returned. And all oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come back and he's coming back because he's a good king. He's a kind king. He's a powerful king. People have been saying a lot of lies about him. The devil has said a lot of lies about him and bad reports about him have spread and people have believed it rather than believing what, what the Bible would say about Jesus and would say about God. And so, you know, things are going to be put right, believe me. There's some Greek words here that I've put up. Whether you can see them words or not, let me just see if I can alter this just so that you can take a, a screenshot. You might not see much of me, that doesn't matter if we get these notes on there. There's a word here, parousia, and all these three words are about his second coming. The parousia, it means to be beside somebody. And it gives the impression, uh, the flavour of an arrival of an invading king, or the arrival of a returning king. Both them fit Jesus. He's an invading king. He's coming back now to invade planet Earth. He put up with us first time round, but this time he's really going to lead us. His second coming has a different meaning than his first. But, you know, his first coming, he, he, he went for individuals and he, he paid the price for every individual's sin because a king needs followers. He needs a kingdom. And so he's getting people ready to be part of his new kingdom where he's the king and where his subjects. Every king needs a subject. My question today is, are you subject to the king? Or are you subject to your emotions, your moods, feelings? God's looking for people that are subject to the king, that know his word and live by his word. So the arrival of an invading king. Uh, epiphania uh, means the appearing on the scene. Uh, 
somebody coming to save, like the cavalry, you know, in the old westerns. Uh, the cavalry came when the, the Indians were, were, were beating people. And there were too many Indians, and the you know, all, all, next thing here is and the cavalry with the uniforms came on and uh, and saved everybody. It's the idea of bringing comfort and strength to save. That's what he's coming to do: is to save. Apocalypse, apocalypse means to unveil. That is to show your true colours. It's like the undercover boss. There's an unveiling at the end of the programme where you see the undercover boss. He's, he or she is dressed with the power dressed and they're in their office, in their building, and uh, the context is there and you see them as they are, not as you first encountered them. It's a sovereign king. It gives you the picture of a sovereign king wearing a crown. And we never knew that he was a sovereign king. But we do now. And Jesus is coming back. So, what are we going to look at now? Why is Jesus coming back? Let me just show you this. Why is Jesus coming back? I hope you can get a screenshot of this. Jesus is coming back to complete the saints or the Christians. To convert the Jews. Because they rejected him first time round. But there's promises in the Bible. In fact, Romans chapters 9, 10 and 11 let us know that although the Jewish nation rejected God, well, the leaders did and, and many people in the nation did, they, though the Jews rejected him, God didn't reject them. He still has a plan for them. Yeah, there was like a marriage ceremony in the Old Testament. And although his wife, Israel, has been unfaithful and left him, he remains faithful. He's got a plan and a purpose to win her back and bring her back in. And we as Gentiles, we weren't Jews. We didn't have God's laws, God's promises, God's covenants, agreements. And, and we don't belong. We don't deserve it. But because they rejected him, the gospel then came to all the other nations. And in fact, God used that to, is using that to provoke the Jews. So when they hear people like me, a Gentile, speaking about God, the God of the Old Testament and Jesus, they, they provoke that, like that's our God. And oh, he's, he's mine. <laughs> no, he's, he is our God. But you know, he, he, he sent his son and whoever has the son has life. If you don't have the son, you have not got life and you're condemned already. The Bible says, John chapter three. And so he's coming to convert the Jews. He's coming to conquer the devil. You know, he defeated the devil. Why didn't he just continue it? And um, well, we're going to look at that. Uh, you know, why didn't he conquer him and just get rid of him? He's going to do that eventually, but uh, the first time he didn't. Number four, to command the world. He's going to come and rule the world. He's promised peace to this world. And he's going to show this world what it's like to have the true king leading. What it's like to have a kingdom, not a democracy or a dictatorship but a true kingdom where the king is such a brilliant person that cares for his subjects so much that he's prepared even to lay down his life for his subjects. He'll not do this the second time. He's already done it once. And so we can trust him. You can know him and know that he's got your best interests at heart. And number five, he's coming to close down the ungodly, those who don't want him to rule and reign. 
in their lives. And eventually they will rule, they will understand that this planet ultimately belongs to him and he's the king. And their shenanigans are going to get closed down. It's like it's finished. The party's over. It's done. And the end of time will come, uh, you know, in, in God's plan. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth that kicks in. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible, last letter in the Bible. And if you read chapters 19 and 20, it talks about the rule and reign and it talks about the new heaven and earth. So have a look at that. So that's why, why is Jesus coming back to complete the saints, convert the Jews, conquer the devil, command the world and to close down the ungodly. So let's have a look at that. To complete the saints. Salvation is a continuing process. No Christian is complete yet. Not one of us. And so we need completing. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he cancels out your past sin, like cancelling a debt. It's gone. It's been forgotten. God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far will I forgive you your sins. And he doesn't just forgive, he forgets. We're different from God, but, um, you know, he forgives and he forgets. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the practice of sin every day because we're tempted to sin and we need to overcome that. And, you know, even our emotions want to give in. Our mind wants to sin and we've got to fight those two things. How do you fight it? With the truth of God's word. When you read the Bible, you know that some things are good for you, some things are not. Some thoughts are helpful, some thoughts are unhelpful. So we fill our mind with God's word and God's principles and God's ways. And so we are being saved from the practice of sin every day. I wonder how many sins you've been saved from today. What have you been battling this week and you've not given? And, you know, other people might not know what you're battling, but you've not, you've, you've not given in. And it's, it saved your marriage. It saved your kids from going through a divorce. It's, or it saved an argument happening in your life. It saved you from losing your job because you wanted to maybe, I don't know, maybe you wanted to snot somebody, you know, you retaliate and you, 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 you resisted and you went home with an headache because you were so angry and you had to hold it back. Well done. Well done. And that's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the same person that Jesus was filled with. John in his gospel said that Jesus had the spirit without limit. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We can have the same spirit living on the inside of us, guiding us, giving us wisdom and giving us power to overcome ourselves. And temptation is phenomenal. So we are being saved daily from the practice of sin. But one day, someday, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Let me give you a screenshot then. Feel free to take a photograph of that bad boy. And if you can read it afterwards, well done. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. I've been made righteous. It's not my righteousness. It says he swapped my unrighteousness for his righteousness. He took my unrighteousness and nailed it to the cross. And then when I believed, he gave me his righteousness. So 
justification. You've been justified and I've been justified by Jesus. We are being saved from the practice of sin. That's sanctification. That's us being same, same, but different. We're in the world. We dress like the world. We eat the same food that our friends eat. And we look by all accounts. We look just like them. But we are different. Same, same, but different. What's the difference? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ, Jesus, as Lord. We're set apart. That's what sanctification means. It just means different. We are, we are set apart to God. You know, an illustration would be if you're a Leeds United fan or a Man United fan, you can't be both. You're set apart to Manchester United to support them. Or you're set apart to Leeds United. You can't support both. Yeah, that'd be compromise. And it's the same with us. We don't follow the ways of the world and the morals of the world or the principles of the world. We follow the ways and the, the, mor the morality and the principles uh, of Jesus. Yeah, good. Uh, that sanctification was set apart. By the way, having said that, we know that we're not perfect and we know that we let him down, we let ourselves down, we let our family down. We know that and that's why we have to keep coming back to Jesus and saying, can you forgive me, Lord? And he says, oh yeah, there's plenty of that. There's plenty more where that come from. And it's not so that we go back to do it again. It's so that we have transformation. And uh, I want to say this, the early Methodists, they believed not just in the cancellation of sin, but the conquering of sin. And you can have power over your sins, but it might take time. Don't be hard on yourself. It might take time to overcome sins. I can remember as a 19-year-old, I could not conquer the drink. It took me over six months and I looked such a fool so many times, drunk as a skunk, in taxis, preaching to everybody in pubs, drunk as a skunk. And you know what? Jesus set me free. And I'm glad that he, he hangs out with people like me. <laughs> He's got so low standards, it's unbelievable. But that's good news for you and me, that he still, he doesn't deny us. He doesn't say, oh, I, oh, I don't know him. He doesn't stand away, he just says, no, he's learning. He's got his L plates on, disciple, we're learning, yeah? I hope you're learning. Don't give up on yourself. Keep going. Keep going till you get breakthrough and overcome your sins and your habits and the desires that, that, that are out of sync. You know, keep going until you grab hold of yourself and you're self-controlled. So that's, we're being saved from the practice of sin. When Jesus returns, we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's glorification. We will all receive new bodies. All the believers will receive new bodies. And it'll be a body that's uncontaminated by our sinful past. It's unlimited uh, in, its ex in, so in the expression of the spirit within. You know, so often we have ideas and thoughts and it'll be unlimited in what we can achieve. And it'll be unaffected by disease and decay and death. So Jesus is coming back to complete the saints. He's coming back to convert the Jews. Let's just have a look at that. Jesus was born and died with the title King of the Jews. Remember the wise men that first Christmas? Matthew 2, 
They said, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? And even at the cross, Pontius Pilate, who wasn't a believer, had a plaque put above Jesus's head. He went, king of the Jews. Jesus knew he was the king of the Jews. He talked all the time. His favourite topic was the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And he was he was just awesome. He brought heaven to earth. He didn't leave heaven. He brought it with him and he spread it around. Paul, the apostle, got hold of this kind of teaching and he says, we are the aroma of Christ. The Christians, we are the aroma of Christ. To some, we're the, we are the, the, the smell of perfume and life and to others with the stench of death. To those that were believing, we are the, the smell of life. And to those that are unbelieving and reject, we are the, the smell of death. And you know, my question to you today is, what are you like in your place of work with your family? Are you the aroma of life, the aroma of Christ? Or are you the kiss of death to wherever uh, you, you are? You know, too many, too many of us, I know non-Christians can be like this, but you know, we've no excuses really as believers. Superior, being superior to people. Let's get rid of that kind of stuff. That is so obnoxious to Jesus, so obnoxious. And where there's little grace, little small-heartedness, that's obnoxious to Jesus. Big hearts. Being generous about a person when people are criticising them. Being generous about a situation. Being generous in life. Being generous financially with people, being being generous with your stuff. It's beautiful, you know, the aroma of Christ. So, Jesus is coming back to convert the Jews. Jesus was born and he died, the king of the Jews. He was sent to the house of Israel. You know, he said to his disciples, go only to the people of Israel, to the house of Israel. That was in somewhere like Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 10. Um, because Jesus was on purpose and he'd come to his own and he was meant to come to his own and he went to his own first because the Jews were meant to be a light to the other nations, the Gentiles, and they were meant to get things from God and then be a light to the Gentiles and saying, it's our God that's prospered us. It's our God that gives us wisdom. It's our God that overcomes our enemies. It's our God that's our healer etc etc but they didn't they went insular so Jesus came to try and open their eyes so they could see and then go to the nations and so he said to his disciples go first to the house of Israel but by the end of Matthew in Matthew chapter 28 Jesus in his resurrected state he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me now go go and make disciples teaching them all that I've taught you, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. And, you know, he, he wanted, his heart was for everybody, but he needed a conduit. He needed a people that was going to take his message to the world. And it should have been the Jews. And it started off with the Jews, to be fair. The early church was Jewish, but eventually it went to the Gentiles because the Jews kept hardening their hearts and becoming stubborn. 
And uh, Paul said, from now on, I take my gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter went to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and the gospel spread through Cornelius's house, who was a Gentile and a commander of the Italian regiment, uh, an army man, a military man. But the gospel came to him and was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in other languages, given by the Holy Spirit, absolutely marvellous, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This early church, this fledgling church, went out like lambs amongst wolves and they turned the world upside down with their teaching within the first three centuries. Oh, I want, I want the church, I want global, but bigger than global, I want the churches to turn this world upside down. You know, let's have an expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's coming to complete us. We're going to get new bodies, new minds, fantastic. No more depression, no more oppression, no more negativity, no new minds, new bodies. And then he's going to come and convert the Jews. He was rejected by most of them, but he didn't reject them. He knew that they would eventually believe. And Jesus said this, I don't know if you can see it there. In Matthew, he said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He had faith, even though they were rejecting him. He had faith that one day they will believe in him. And he spoke it out. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know something that that is taken from the praise songs in the Bible, the hymn book really of the Bible, which is the book of Psalms. And it's Psalm 113 to Psalm 18. And it was sung at the Feast of Tabernacles at harvest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want to finish just by saying, uh, no, I can't say it. I have to move on. I have to, we have to close. <laughs> um, but you know, God has got a harvest in his mind and you're a part of that harvest. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 